Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening, odds are you're a fan of the universe George Lucas created. I am too. I love Star Wars and have been desperate to tell my own Star Wars story. But I always wanted a story that was more focused on the struggles on the front lines and less about the machinations of the Senate. A boots on the ground story about the millions of people desperate to survive the horrors of galactic war. That is what Mud 79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode eight, a drop of hatred and suffering. Solomon Kwai joined a strike force in a daring assault on an enemy stronghold. The Mudders were joined by the Inquisitor and her Purge Troopers. They came in like the Emperor's Fist, and with the help of air support, neutralized the enemy combatants defending the stronghold's exterior. But what's inside? Where did the Inquisitor get to? Will they find that missing trooper from First Squad? Let's find out. Just a few steps forward and I was out of their line, taking cover behind a chunk of charred container. The edges were still glowing with plasma ignition. There were three others held down behind it. The enemy fire was disciplined, well-timed. My side felt warm and I saw I'd been grazed. The uniform was tattered and the edge of my chest plate was a bit cooked. There were blisters forming from the heat, but I didn't feel pain. Hey. How wounded was Altherium? I saw him stay down. Husto was there giving a needle to Tolan. That'll stop the bleeding. When there's a break, we move. I told him Altherium was okay and was ensuring no one opened up behind us. He nodded and then peered around the far side of our corner. He was met by immediate fire. Fuck! His helmet had a singed burn line across the side and was twisted crooked. He glared at me like this was somehow my fault. I asked how far away they were and tossed a detonator in their direction. We ran with the explosion, then sliding in behind some more crates. There was a lot of blaster fire now. Red was burning through ammunition at a pace. We made our way low and slow along the ground, doing our best to keep out of the enemy's sights. There was a lot of cover. The rest of Fireteam Blue was huddled up against a pile of containers. This was our rally point. The loading bay doors were right ahead of us, still closed. The warehouse was L-shaped. The section ahead was the large storage unit, 5 meters high, 15 meters on its longest side, which we were facing, and 10 meters on the shorter. Dull, prefab construction, hastily made to give the cargo shelter from the elements. On the left was the main building. Looked older, more character, stone base, and brick construction. Four stories tall. Storage on the bottom, office space, smaller units on the top. This was going to be a bitch to clear. Kwai, focus. The breach point is there. 
When her hand went out, I could have sworn the tip of her finger was singed by a blaster bolt. Red's arc of fire was dangerously close. You stay right and sweep that half of the room, understood? I confirmed the order and changed out a clip in my rifle. There was no way of knowing how many loyalists were inside. Attach your plasma rods. We did as ordered, removing the 25-centimeter-long dull gray rods and latching them onto the lower portion of our rifles. They were like a bayonet, only they'd store up a charge and glow light green. Once that happened, they'd slice through anything. When you were in a tight space, being able to take someone's arm off with a quick slash was comforting. Blue is in position. Hold fire. I repeat, blue is in position. Hold fire. The blaster fire died down. Or at least ours did. Sergeant Shea, open the door. Acknowledge, Blue. Take cover. The lardy pulled up a few meters and its front turrets opened up in a spray, tracing the edges of the door. So many rounds ripping into it, the edges folded in and the door blasted inward. The Lardy's lights all died. Advance. The team split to either side of the door, running low, rifles up and forward. Soon as we hit the wall, we pulled down our night vision. The warehouse was pitch black, no lights whatsoever. I took a breath and waited for the goggles to adjust, looked down the line. Sergeant Chintala was on point for us, and the purge trooper was opposite her on the left side of the door. They tossed in some detonators, set for stun. We waited a second and heard the bang. These things were loud and let loose a wave of current that could put down the average humanoid. Anyone close to those things was going to wake up sore. Then we went in, quick and precise. It felt like going underwater, honestly. Quiet and murky. The quiet didn't last long, though. There was a burst of blaster fire on the left side. The room flashed green, and there was a low groan, followed by some rather aggressive yelling. I turned opposite the sergeant, sweeping the room. Slow, focused, eyeing each corner and coming around wide. More blaster fire. This time on my side of the room, ahead of those crates. It was close. Who was shooting? Stay down. The sergeant just let loose enough rounds to pry the skull off a mud horn. What did she shoot? I was coming around the corner of some crates to investigate. Two humans were huddled low. They had that cold, dead stare of long-timers. Old breed soldiers. As one moved towards me, I slid the plasma rod into his back. A scream died on his lips as his lungs were cauterized. The other slipped back like a prized Terracossi master. He raised a blaster pistol as a bang went off to my left. Tolan with his slug thrower. The thing ripped the enemy's skull apart. Bloody bits of flesh flew everywhere and hit me in the face. There was a step on the metal floor to my right. It was heavy, and before I turned my head, I was thrown into the wall two meters behind me. Flopped to the ground like a baby, learning to walk, winded, struggling to breathe. It was a Deveronian. Guy was huge, 
One of his horns cut off. Grabbed Tolan's slug thrower and tried to get it out of his hands, slamming him into the stacks of Durasteel crates. They weren't budging. Whatever was in there was heavy. Filthy fucking Imperials! I was still grasping for air when I reached for my rifle. He saw me scurry for it. Almost got to me before I hit him with two triple bursts right in the torso. When he hit the ground, Tolan put another shot into his back, which was a tactical decision. That was a Deveronian. A lot of hostile. Blue came in over the comms, declaring his half of the warehouse clear. Gentala gave the same report. There was still occasional fire from outside, but it was sporadic. They must have been in cleanup operations. The storage unit had a set of stairs to a second level. It lined the north and western walls of the building, coming out like a catwalk, only three meters wide. The entrance to the main building was up there, and we were ordered to secure it. As soon as we reached the top of the stairs, we came under fire from the far side of the northern wall. They barricaded themselves with some metallic storage containers. The purge trooper pulled a detonator off his belt and tossed it over. The stunner went off again. Bring them down and get them in binders. We quickly closed in on the corner and let loose with our rifles set to stun. They were still twitching when we clamped on the restraints. There were four of them, two humans, two Twi'lek. I turned and dropped, scanning the rest of the level with my rifle sight. Nothing. I had a clear view and couldn't see anyone. Outside, we could hear yelling, check-ins, orders being barked, but, but no real fire anymore. The lardy was landing, the engines priming down, and we moved towards the door that connected to the larger building. We formed up exactly as we did when entering. Blue kicked the door in. It ripped off its hinges and flew inward. He hit it with such force that I wondered if he was entirely human. He stepped aside and Gentala lobbed in more detonators. They went off with a bang. Again, intended to stun. We had to be careful. Ukarme could be in here. We stormed in, taking control, just like we were trained. Entering a long hallway. It had singes from blaster fire on the far end. Marks on the roof as well. Long gouges, still burning, glowing. These types of marks could only come from one weapon, a lightsaber. We shuffled along the walls and there was a door on the right. I took the far side. Husto lined up on the other. He counted me with his fingers. I'd be going in first. One. Two. Three. He kicked in the door and I rushed inside. I took a superficial glance and surmised this was a lunchroom or break area, kitchenette. Then I saw an open refrigerator unit. The contents spilled out onto the floor. The legless torso impacted on the side of it. I took a step forward and my boot stuck to the floor. There were puddles of coagulated blood spattered across the concrete. Its dirty, metallic stink filled my nostrils. Parts of bodies ripped to pieces. Not ripped, cut, sheared in two, lengthwise. 
There was another body spattered across the wall and one whose head was driven through the wall. It was a butcher shop, if a butcher played with their product instead of preparing it. There were screams coming from somewhere. It made my whole body spasm, like I felt what was happening to them. An arm in black armor moved in front of me. Sweep every room, troopers. Private Ukame is in here somewhere. Private Ukame, that's why we were here. My brain was scrambled. Thinking was difficult. Staying upright was too much. I could feel my eyes pulling back into my head. I was seeing out from inside myself and my feet and hands were, were heavy. Sensations came in waves. Then a hand fell on my shoulder and spun me around. It was Husto. Just take a breath. We're not done yet. They taught you about this stuff in training, how you needed to maintain control, techniques to focus. I felt something during every other encounter we'd had, every hostile action. I did, but... Those were like riding a wave of adrenaline. A firefight is just a massive stimulus coming at you, and you bounce from one thing to the other. You're never really there. You're always somewhere else and on the verge of moving somewhere else. I know that doesn't make sense. It's easier, is what I'm saying. This, the stalking, was the exact opposite. It was something where you needed to be present. There was no escape. You had to focus. I tried to breathe. That's what we were all taught to do. Husto was on it. The only problem was that smell. When I took a deep breath, I would gag. Husto kept moving, so I followed just to keep moving. Two more troopers came into the break room and glanced around. And this was just the beginning. We saw bodies and pieces of bodies in every room. Some had been thrown through walls and didn't make it in one piece. One room had a false wall behind it and it was a hive of communications equipment and geographical information about the region. The purge trooper ushered us out of there pretty quickly. The sergeant walked past me as we exited. Keep your eyes down, Private. These aren't things you need to see. We had gone up some stairs and entered a long storage unit when we found the Inquisitor. I could feel her before we found her. She was standing near the far corner, facing away from us. Head lowered. Her lightsaber glowed red. It illuminated the bodies at her feet. She held the head of a Twi'lek male by its leku in her left hand. The head itself hovered a centimeter or two above the ground. Its jaw hung open, tongue to the side. The eyes were gone, but the sockets still faced us, staring. She was breathing deeply. You could hear the breath coming from her mask. Steady, her shoulders rising and falling. 
and that was the only movement she made, the only sound in the room, her breathing. The whole place crackled with energy, fear, aggression, pain. Stand down, troopers. Get those prisoners from the main storage unit and bring them to the dock. Then assist Fire Team Red as they secure our position. The Inquisitor didn't move. She didn't flinch. I kept glancing over as we made our way out of the room. Part of me was worried we may have missed someone, or the Inquisitor did. If there was anyone left alive in there, we didn't see them. Just picked up those four loyalists we'd put in binders and dragged them out onto the dock. Only one of them was awake, the smallest of them. A Twilic female with a mouth like a weakway pirate. The other purge trooper, Red, had us gather up weapons and sweep the area for booby traps. We did a deep sweep of the first warehouse. We were told the second one was off limits. I didn't want to go back in there anyway. I was grateful for the work. It was a distraction. You could focus on it and forget what you'd just seen. Looking at the things in the crates, counting them even though you didn't need to, asking for things to do. I would get lightheaded whenever I caught a scent of something burning, something even similar to blood, and there was a smell of blood in the air. And that ionized smell of blaster fire. Sort of like lightning right after a bolt hits. The weapons these guys had been using were of pristine quality, mostly E-22s and E-11s. They may have been Clone War surplus, but they'd definitely been refurbished and well looked after. And their operators knew how to use them, fought like the ones we ran into during that first outing months ago. Coordinated, accurate fire, well-trained. We had 14 prisoners total, and some of them were wounded. Husto was doing his best to keep them alive. He was told prisoners were needed alive. We had a few wounded as well, but no one seriously. There was one loyalist, a human, who had a nasty cut over his head. Big guy, tall. Some troopers undid his binders to get his arms above him and make sure he was more secured. And when he did, he reached for one of their knives. Quick fucker, too. He got it, and there was a scuffle where he gave Targon a mean gash on her arm. Blood everywhere. Red came in from behind and put him on the ground hard, slamming her rifle into her shoulder and breaking his collarbone in the process. You heard it crack. The blade clattered across the ground, and she walked over to him, her rifle poised black armor, shimmering with reflections of the fire. Is that how you repay our kindness? We give you the Emperor's mercy and this is what you do? She walked over to where Husto was treating the wounded prisoners and shot one of them in the head. Husto looked up at her. He had a deadpan expression. Try anything like that again and I'll kill two more. And it'll be slower next time prisoner wasn't phased. He just stared at her with his one eye. No kindness to be found there. The Inquisitor came out of the storage unit. She had that 
elegant walk again, the opposite of the tense cluster of rage I'd seen a few minutes ago. Blue was behind her, and he was carrying the brutalized body of Num Ukarme. Num wasn't a big guy. Average height, thin build, but he looked like an infant the way the perjurer held him. He was emaciated, filthy, missing four of his fingers, stripped naked. We could see the layers of bruises all over his body. Look closely at your fallen brother in arms, troopers. Look at what these zealots did to him. Remember his name. He is who you fight for. I didn't know Ukarme very well. I trained with him and had been with him the whole trip out here, but we weren't chummy. I learned that he came from money, like a lot of money. Family was one of the Navy's main supplier of textiles for uniforms and also had a seat on the Imperial Board of Trade. He was the youngest of six children and wanted to do the right thing by joining up. Didn't take the hand up his family could have gotten him either. He was in the mud with us and he died for it. Whoever took him prisoner had tried to ransom him, not for money, but for a vote on a trade deal. See, rebellions, insurgencies, secessionists, all of them need money. That's it. It's money. It's always money. And they use it to try and convince people who will follow them that it's actually about an idea. Whoever was doing the ransoming must have had points on a trade deal and they just needed to ensure it happened. So they used Ukarme's life as a chip. And when that fell through, they sold the kid to someone else for straight up creds. Not as profitable, but money, regardless. They must have expected us to buy him. It didn't make much sense. Staven said that whoever gave us the tea might have been trying to help free him, that they were trying to do the right thing. But I saw his body, what they did to him. Someone trying to do the right thing wouldn't do that to another person. There was a whir above us, a DX-9. Came down next to the blown out burning husk of a hauler we'd shot up on our approach. The blast door had just hit the ground when the boys in white took control of the position. They had a lot of Navy types with them too, more than before. One guy came up all prim and proper and gave a quick bow to the Inquisitor. Yes, excellent work, Inquisitor. I'll ensure command hears of your success. She waved her hand in front of his face, like he didn't matter, because he didn't. They already know, Major. Yes. Regardless, you have my thanks. He turned to us, a slow glance at the group, the days of combat still on our faces. All of you, you have served the Empire well. Many lives will be saved because of your actions here today. Staven looked confused. But if you all board the transport and vacate the premises, it would be much appreciated. Dismissed, troopers. The only one who really reacted was Husto. He threw the needle that he'd been holding with his teeth on the ground, grabbed his gear, and marched straight for the lardy. These defiant, heavy footfalls. His grazed helmet on at an angle, the strap undone. We followed, hoping that maybe 
we'd get some answers. Eventually. It was clear there was more at play than just a simple hostage-taking. But this wasn't the place to talk about it. We boarded the lardy and headed back to the temporary camp outside of the city. Only took ten minutes, and we weren't even going very fast. The flight out was just a diversion. In case anyone was watching the camp, they'd see us head off in another direction and not know what was actually going on. When we came down and hit the pad, there was a line of land speeders coming in from the city. Cargo haulers. They opened up their doors and squads one and two started filing out. They'd been on an op too. While we infiltrated and assaulted the warehouse and dock, they'd run a perimeter on it, ensuring no one would get away. We saw Mondahai. She gave us the dirt. We got our positions on some rooftops around some buildings. And just when your lardy came out of Sonic, three haulers came out from the warehouse. Once you guys started that barrage with the missiles, they floored it. They knew it was up. We pincushioned the first one, and the other two smashed into the back of it. Then, we just moved in and detained the prisoners. Three was the only squad that stayed behind, keeping the camp secure in case of reprisal. Sergeant Kyra from the first squad came by with a glare which stopped our gossip. Hit your axe, troopers. You've got shoveling to do tomorrow. That was true. We didn't even get time to clean our gear. Not until after dinner the following day. That's when I had my kit laid out in front of me, going over every inch. There was a chunk of something, organic and red, that had wedged itself into the clip uptake of my rifle. My heart started racing, but... I got it under control before my mind began wandering. And I'm glad I saw it because it could have kept the rifle from taking a charge and firing the next time I needed it. This was why you really needed to look after your rifle. It would keep you alive. I was just resealing the induction chamber when Jintala came in through the front flat. Loaded up troopers, we're moving back to Vibus ASAP. Get your boxes packed and then take down the tent. Everything goes. Get it done. Guess we were leaving, even if the irrigation trenches weren't entirely finished. But can't say I was upset by that. The whole camp was down in less than four hours. Lardies were coming in and we loaded them up and headed back to the ass. It was nice sleeping in an actual bed instead of a cot. Even if we only had a few hours of shut-eye, I felt rested when we got up the next morning. Lined up in the mess hall, saw faces I hadn't seen in weeks, told them about that shoot-up at the docks. We were just finishing up, draining our coffee and listening to Staven. Once you guys moved into the storage unit, Red moved us forward. That bitch was like a fucking machine. I saw her pick off three of those loyalists clean. Headshots pop, 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 all in a row. I've never seen work like that. I told her about the Inquisitor, what we'd seen her do, or at least the remnants of what we'd seen her do. It was just getting into detail when our bracelets went off. We'd been ordered to form out outside the barracks building, not just our platoon. Every person in there who I knew was infantry got the same message. We headed back and formed up. The sergeants were there too, but they moved us around as we lined up in our usual spots for inspection. The LT came down, stood in front of us, and got right to the point. 
The nature of our mission on Cessin IV has changed. Imperial Command has obtained evidence of a coordinated effort to undermine the tactical superiority of Imperial forces. Not just here, but in the rest of the system. We will not allow them to succeed. The Empire has worked hard to bring prosperity and security to the people of this region, and we will not allow that progress to be undermined. As such, your squads are being reorganized. Your armament will be altered to suit the demands of an offensive combat unit. Because as of today, troopers, the Empire will be the one shooting first. He wasn't kidding. Our squads were juiced up. We were getting a full makeover. The amount of firepower that had been approved for us was impressive to the point of excessive. Each squad would now have two heavy gunners with fully automatic Z6s. Two Grenadiers, each packing an RPS-6 rocket launcher and a C-7 slug thrower. There would also be two new designations in every squad, scouts and mortarmen, two of each. The mortarmen would still carry an E-10 blaster rifle, but both of them would also have an MH-8 mortar launcher, which could launch a variety of rounds at an effective range of up to two clicks away. Explosive, smoke, stun, you name it. It was a really handy piece of cloner weaponry. And that thing lobbed rounds at these high arcs, which was perfect for the terrain we were working in. Being able to hit an enemy when we were over a hill and couldn't get eyes on him, that was handy. Then there was the scouts, two of them, each carrying a brand new E-11S sniper rifle. I was selected as a scout, so was Staven. We both got the call, and I can still remember when they gave us our new rifles. I felt safe with it, which was what I needed. It was comforting. Ever since that thing in the warehouse, I had a twitch, a knowledge of mortality, and that was gone when this was in my hands. I didn't name it. I know you're thinking I did, but I did think about it. The thing was just beautiful. The way the stock slid into your shoulder. They even shifted a thermal vent on top to the side. So after you shot, you could still stay close to the site without getting burned by vapor. The platoons were then divided by designation immediately. This new way of doing things made a massive difference in terms of our ability to lay down fire when we came into contact with an enemy force. Our new formation, with scouts up front, on the flanks and in the rear, gave us constant feedback and intel to the LT. That plus our column formation kept the heavy gunners up front, so if you advanced on us, you'd be coming into Z6 rotary cannons. But if you held back, our mortars would chew you to pieces, and then we'd advance on your position under continuous fire. We had a lot more punch. Then the TX-130 hover tanks, or more commonly known as Sabres, were transferred over to Camp Vibus. And those things were awesome. We'd do maneuvers with them, and every now and again we'd get to ride on their repulsor lifts to get into position. It was pretty intense when you clipped onto the outside of a vehicle skimming along at 250 clicks an hour, only three feet off the ground. 
The wind would be going and your eyes would start watering. Breathing was near impossible without the mask, but watching the ground fly by was an experience. Sometimes the pilots would fire off the big cannons and you'd be moving so fast, the beams would look like they were bending in the air. Then you'd see the impact, things flying everywhere. The explosions were massive. I loved it. Eight of us from Platoon 79 were designated as scouts, which meant a lot more reconnaissance slash observation work, navigation, things like that, making your way through the bush to find hidden targets. We were led by Sergeant Kyra of 1st Squad, and he was an intense guy. He'd take us off base and have us work through the swamps to find supply drops with minimal intel. Then he'd come back and try and hunt us down with a stun rifle, like the LT did. So we learned the importance of remaining unseen. One time, we were downriver working through some hilly jungle. Mondi caught a glimpse of him moving up ahead. Just the shadow, really. She came over the comms. Two o'clock. Low, near the edge of the ravine. I see it. It's Gray. Carrying a rifle. Kyra. Staven and those Cassian eyes of hers. She spotted him without even using her scope. We cloverleafed around him, broke apart, fully encircled on four fronts. Scouts observe and if possible, unless ordered otherwise, eliminate threats. It was one of the third squatters that took the kill shot. When the stun round hit, he shook like a fish on a line then rolled down the side of the ravine into some mud. We threw him in binders until he came to. Expected him to be pissed, but it was the first time I saw him laugh. You slippery little pricks. Excellent work. And here I thought you were a bunch of washed out tauntaun fuckers. Now, I need to specify, we were not snipers, we were scouts. Our primary job was to head out ahead of the squad and observe the enemy, look for ambushes and booby traps, to ensure no one got the drop on us in the field. The new rifles were more of an observation tool, give us a bit more accuracy at a distance and act as support in case of an actual assault. To train, we did drills over and over taking one position after another, and then holding motionless for hours at a time, not moving, no matter what. When you're out in hot country, you find your spot, you don't move. You wait. The rain drowns you, the sun cooks you, bugs eat you alive, but you stay, you wait. You observe, because your fellow troopers are relying on your eyes to keep them alive. You understand? Sergeant Hefspar was our instructor for marksmanship. We worked with her and Kyra for weeks, no days off, drill after drill, always in the bush. Then one day, we were dropped off on the pad after wearing the same clothes for six days and sleeping beneath tarps and caminets. The Lardy was just pulling up, and Kyra gave us a passing order. You guys were less of a disappointment than normal out there. Now hit your bunks and get your gear ready for inspection. You stink like those swamps we've been marching through. We gave him the customary, yes, Sergeant, then cleaned up by heading into the showers fully dressed, carrying our gear. 
We'd bring some cans of ale and chairs, just sit down beneath the water as a group, fully clothed, let the mud wash away the chemical scent blockers, letting the water sting all the cuts and bug bites we'd picked up, the shit that got stuck in the little nooks and crannies of our rifles and webbing. We'd stay there, the water running over us till the ale was done. Then we'd strip down and go to work on ourselves. You'd always find some little critters latched on, sucking blood, laying eggs, doing whatever they did to us. After a deep scrub, we'd take a pass over the kit and our clothes, shake it all off, scrape it all out, get it as clean as you could. I'd just finished, and I was laying down for some shut-eye when I heard an all-too-familiar voice. It's good to see all of you. I've been reviewing the training reports, and I'm pleased by what I see. The bunkhouse was empty. He closed the door behind him with an ominous click. He dimmed the lights and placed a hollow projector on the bed beside me. The projection was of an area northwest of Flaudine, on the coast of the Karth Sea. The image got close and moved eastward, focusing on a collection of foothills at the base of the Toblin Range, a cluster of peaks north of the Bista Valley. Loads of ravines, dense vegetation. Now, as you remember, two months ago, most of your platoon participated in a raid on a loyalist compound. The intel recovered indicates that our enemy has a military starport operating on the western fringe of the Toblin Range. The hollow focused on one ravine in particular. This ravine sits atop a large underground cave system. I've been informed that Imperial Command wishes to assault this facility with a rapid strike force, including members of the 4th and 5th Infantry Battalions. There are several hurdles to be overcome before that operation can be a success. The hollow projection showed an image of the top of the ravine and its closest edge along the side of the mountain. This opening, about 50 meters wide, is protected by an energy shield. Normally, we'd just let the crossfire blow the shield apart from orbit, then move in with lardies and storm the place. Unfortunately, this port is protected by a series of anti-aircraft batteries. The projector pulled out and multiple blips of light flashed around the vicinity of the ravine. It was a real briar patch of defensive works. A lot of thought went into the design. As such, command has ordered these batteries be eliminated. A cluster of seven enemy positions lit up. They were located in a relative chain along some hills leading all the way to the ravine. Once they're down, we'll have a clear line of assault. As soon as we are within landing range, the crossfire will bring down the shield and we can capture the position intact before they are able to escape. The hollow focused down even closer. A single position, located at the end of several rounded hills, flashed red. This one, codenamed Firepoint Gamma, will be yours. You mean Platoon 79, as in all of us? No, just you lot. The hollow went dark. the scouts are being separated from their platoon? Is there something about the mission we're not being told? How cloak and dagger are things about to get? That's next time on Episode 9, Boots. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. 
While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. And I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.